0: All things are lawful for you. But not all things are beneficial to you. Romans 8 verse 1. You should kind of remember this from this last year. There is therefore now no condemnation for you who are in Jesus Christ. If we're going to talk about stewardship that it must be understood that there is no condemnation for you in this talk. Rather, it is talk of wisdom. It is talk of what is good for you in this world, which is all about, really, what is good for us in this world. That rich fool, for a moment ago, thought that his blessings were about him. What he didn't see was how good it is to have the blessings be there to be shared. All things are lawful for you. You can live however you want. There is no commandment in the New Testament to give so much and this and that to church. But if all of you decide to not give anything to church, you're not going to have a church. And that would be of no benefit to you. But it has nothing to do with how Jesus already thinks about you. You're not going to change how Jesus thinks about you by what you do with your checkbook. Hopefully, what you do with your checkbook, you do because you know what Jesus thinks about you. That you were bought with a price. And that this price was his very own blood. Blood bought, you are of higher value than anything else in all this age to him. That's how he sees you. That's how much he wants you. That's how much he has made himself one with you. And so in that, he has set you free to see that your checkbook is just a bunch of numbers. And those numbers might rem- might represent some paper, You can go to the bank and you can get some paper and you can take that paper and you can buy some metal or some wood or some cow. But at the end of the day, that's all these things are and you are of worth so much more to him than that. But your neighbor, your neighbor might just need some of that cow. Your neighbor might just need some bandages or some blankets or maybe a kind voice and a good word. And so true stewardship really is not about money at all. It's just about who you are. And as people from grace under grace, what we want to do with this set apart blood Bot series this year is emphasize that therefore you're just people of grace. And as people of grace then you know all things are lawful for you but there are some that are better and then begin to seek such a life first corinthians chapter 6 verse 12 which i've now quoted several times is on page 955 of your pew bible we're going to go through this section from first corinthians first and then we're going to end this morning with a dive into proverbs chapter 3 the first portion Next week, we're going to finish up the rest of Proverbs chapter 3. Marvelous, marvelous chapter. Very much looking forward to that. But our theme verse for the year comes at the end of this 1 Corinthians text that is really, as a text, all about marriage. It's all about what man and woman are made to be with each other. So here's the craziest part about what his quote means. He means that even adultery is effectively lawful for you now as a Christian. Now take that very carefully. What it means is just because you do something evil with your body and some other person doesn't mean you're not a Christian now. That doesn't mean it won't impact your faith in negative ways. Because if you're a Christian and you do something evil with your body, guess what you're going to feel? Can you guess? Guilt and shame. And you're going to start to say things to yourself like, how could I be a Christian if I did that? And indeed, that's kind of true, but kind of not true. Because by not doing that, did you make yourself a Christian? Did you become a Christian by being pious and getting married? No, no, no. You don't become a Christian by the flesh. You become a Christian by the Spirit. He is risen. Hallelujah. The good spell, the good story, the reality of Jesus being outside of us, coming to be one with us, saving us, buying us with the price, that makes you a Christian. But when you go off and you do wicked things, then your heart's going to try to convince you that that's not enough. Because you're going to see your sin ever before you and it's going to accuse you. And indeed, you'll want to hide from Jesus rather than flee to him and repent and say, I was wrong, forgive me. And so the adulterer, the fornicator, will go off and continue hiding from his sin and be drawn further into it. So that someday, in fact, he'll believe Jesus can't save me. It's not the act that divides you from Jesus. It's the loss of faith. And that's where then, what's beneficial to your faith? yeah and of course i hope you know the words of god are beneficial to your faith huh? the sacrament the mystery of christ's body and blood that's there to strengthen and sustain you in the faith so this is not just about sex although the text is okay as we go through but what i really want you to see this is about your body which includes your brain and your heart And your eyes, your soul. And so stewardship of the body for marriage is just a part of stewardship of yourself as a resurrected human being. You're immortal already. And so the freedom of that knowledge sets a platform on which you can begin to live like it. Now this is so key. It doesn't mean you're gonna do it perfectly. But it does mean you're going to want to. And that means you're going to look forward to the day when you will. Which is the day when he comes back. I'm going to come back to that when we get to Proverbs. But now let's move through this text here again. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. Notice how all things are lawful for me is in quotation marks. You see that? That's not in the Greek. Greek doesn't even have periods. Do you believe it? It's just, it's it's all capital letters in a big mash and you just have to kind of hope you can read it carefully enough to figure out where the sentence turns. But when we translate it, we treat it like it's English. And these quotation marks are put there then by the editors of most translations because they think, and I agree with them, that it's a quote from a letter written to Paul by a woman named Chloe, who is a member of the congregation at Corinth this congregation that had been planted by Paul was going through some troubles, some, some problems. And, and particularly in this case, there was a man who was sleeping with his mother-in-law. And that's really the, the immediate context here. But they had other issues going on. They were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. They'd come up and get drunk. Yeah. So he has to deal with all of this. The way he knows about this is Chloe sends him this letter. It's like, hey, Paul, we're having some trouble. And the idea is that she said, Here's what they're saying. They're saying this, and they're saying this, and they're saying this. So what should we do about that? How should we handle someone who says, all things are lawful for me. The gospel is that I'm saved so I can sleep with my mother-in-law. What should we do about that? Right? You're going to see another quote here in a moment. Now, maybe Paul's just saying all things are lawful for me, but it makes sense of the context, those quotes there. All things are lawful for me, he says, but not all things are helpful. Sleeping with your mother-in-law is not going to help you. Not healthy. Not good for you or for anybody else. It goes on, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. That is, I'm going to be a master of my body, not have my body be a master of me. That is the freedom As a Christian, you have to pursue. Perfectly, no, but as distinct from the world, yes. Yeah? He quotes again in verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Now, here, this is probably not about food at all. It's about the context. It's about sex. But rather than say that my body part is meant for this body part so I can do what I want with it, they're kind of metaphorically speaking. Right? Can you see that? So stomach and food is really about man and woman. And since God made it, we should just love each other and have a fun time. And he says to that, well, God's going to destroy both. Both are going to burn someday. So if you think that it's about your pleasure now, you're missing the point. Uh, Marriage is not primarily about you loving someone in the rollicking romance of pleasure. Is romance and pleasure part of marriage? Absolutely, but it's not the foundation. And anyone who tries to build a marriage on the foundation of nothing but pleasure will quickly find out how much they don't love the person they thought they loved. And I don't need to talk about divorce today, I don't think, but I, I think you know what a regular thing it's become in our our era, in our times. So uh, the idea that the Lord will destroy both is is not for you to say, oh. Uh, God's going to burn me is for you to recognize that your current body isn't your final body. And so don't let it rule you. Of course, your body was made to conjoin with a human of the opposite sex and produce children. But that doesn't mean that should be what you just live for with everyone everywhere. Of course, you can't because you don't want children with everyone everywhere. You have to try to avoid children. We'll, We'll maybe talk about that later. So Getting back to the body, verse 14, rest of verse 13, uh, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. I much prefer the word fornication. I always kind of, I was like in eighth grade, I'd I'd read that sexual immorality and I knew what it meant, but it also was just a really strange way. No one talks like that. Fornication is just a much better word. What it means is to use your body parts for nothing but pleasure. Yeah, the body was not made for you to just please yourself with it, but for the Lord, it says your body was made for Jesus to
1: inhabit by his Holy Spirit as his holy temple. And you might even add here where it says the Lord is for the body. That strange text has a Matthew and mark where Jesus says, Don't you know that in the life of the world you you to come won't be married? most of us can that clock, but can't imagine that that seems backwards but the thing is it's going to be better not worse because Jesus will fulfill all of your bodily needs and don't really sex think something better and God's like what? how could that be? and the answer is yeah don't you see how fleshly you lawful for me, but not all things remind me of that better place. Verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? You're already tied to Jesus. That's what the Lord's Supper does week in and week out. The body of Jesus, you then are the body of Jesus. Don't you know that? Yes? And then, an important question. Shall I take the members of Christ? Shall I take the body of Jesus and make it members of a prostitute? Can you notice the difference between the word prostitute Harlot. Isn't it interesting how softened the language has become in our modern age? Harlot. Sounds much worse. Yeah. the point again, though, is a woman who is going to sell her body to you for pleasure, and you're definitely not going to want kids to be the result. This is a picture of great evil that isn't good for anyone,
0: her or you. Certainly not for the kid the kid does result. Shall I, as a Christian, go ahead and act in this way? He says, never. Or, if
1: you not know, see, that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her. Or, it is written, the two will become one flesh. That's a text, two will become one flesh. It's in Genesis, it's in Matthew, it's in Ephesians.
0: Jesus quotes it. This is the establishment of marriage as an idea. And it really is saying here, yeah, sex is marriage. So how do you have sex before marriage? Well, the point is you, you have sex and then you don't stay married. You go off and do it again with somebody else. And now that's adultery. So at is Adultery means to add alteration, to change something, right? And so to get married is good, to change the marriage, that's bad. Okay? So why would you go and be married for one night to someone who you're just gonna pay for it in the hopes that you would never have family? Shall I do that as a Christian, he says, right? And the answer is no. Verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. He's just emphasizing here again that you're not your own. You already have been bound to the everlasting almighty God, Holy Spirit, who inhabits you to make you believe that Christ has died that Christ is risen and Christ will come again that holy spirit within you is unity with god you already got that in one very real sense you can't lose that so why would you treat it like like it's nothing is his question yeah Verse 18, then flee from sexual immorality, flee fornication, flee adultery. And here, why? Because it's bad for you. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. You just kind of got to believe that a little bit and put it in the back of your mind when you watch all of the pride and the boasting and the dancing and the, All the the show around, uh, you need to celebrate the way we commit adultery. Why would we not do that? Why would I celebrate you hurting your own body? Why would I call that love? It's not love. It's licentious self-destruction. Or verse 19 for you, especially Christian. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. Uh, I've heard evangelicals preach that as, that's why you gotta do some weightlifting. Your body's a temple, I gotta eat the right food, or your body's a temple. Well, I mean, fine. It's not all wrong that you should care about what goes into your body, should care about what you do with it, but that's not the point of the text at all. The point is, don't you know that the Holy Spirit lives in you all the time? When you go out from here, you don't go out alone. You go out with the light of light and very God of very God inhabiting you. Everyone you talk to is an encounter with God. Not, not, They're not God. You're God to them. You then are free to see this. And this will change the way you view your neighbors. It will change the way you view your enemies. That as members of Christ, as temples of the Holy Spirit, you are there to show who God really is. Which is, again, a God of of mercy. We're going to get to that in Proverbs. And a God who is willing to speak. Yeah. So if the temple is the temple of the Holy Spirit, what's it going to be filled with? What's a temple for? Prayer, praise, and thanks. Yeah, For the words of God to come out of your mouth as God's presence. Both with you and with everyone that you meet. Don't you know this? It's not, don't you know you could be this? It's, don't you know you are this? Already. Huh? He's chosen you for this. You are not your own. There it is. este auton. You are not your own. And then, guard gard That's verse 20. You were bought with a price. Agoristita is a word that you can you can kind of find some English connected to this word. Uh, I'm curious. This is probably going to go very poorly, but a show of hands if you don't mind. How many of you have heard of agoraphobia? Oh, God. about half of you there. Okay. How many of you know what it means? Uh, pretty much. Almost the same number. Yeah. For for those of you who don't know, it's it's not like arachnophobia. That's fear of
1: spiders. Yeah.
0: Um, agoraphobia is fear of crowded places. Fear of crowded places, fear of people. And it gets the name Agora, not from the Greek word for people, but for the Greek word for the market, the bazaar. Think Walmart, right? Think the shopping center. Yeah? You go in and there's just all these people around. Yeah? And so Agora is the market in the ancient world. And then it's the same word for like at market, you go to market, you buy at market. So agarestheta means you were bought at the market. You were paid for. You were were chosen on the stand and put into the basket and taken through the checkout counter. Now agarestheta gar temes, that word temes is the word price, but it's so much more than price. It's not like money. It's not like I need the change. It's more like the word value. You were bought for a value. It wasn't chump change that pulled you off of the slave block and made the master, Jesus Christ, your King and Lord. It was his own precious blood, his innocent death and burial, his victorious resurrection for you. You are blood bought by him. And that's what makes you then not your own. And You can take you're not your own as a bad thing. I mean, I, I, I can imagine how that could be like, Well, oh, but I really like my freedom. But see, if you think you're free, you got to realize you're not. Can I quote Bob Dylan? You're going to serve somebody. How much better to serve the master of the universe who holds all things in his hands and even let those hands be pierced that you would never be left alone but would always be held in him for the sake of eternity. You are not your own is such powerful good news. It means you don't have to make yourself belong to Jesus. It means you belong to Jesus. He's for you, not against you. He's going to hold you forever. And that price that he paid, the honor of dying for you, he intends to fill you with that for the rest of forever. Hmm? Now, if we can make kind of a hard jump to Proverbs chapter 3 and just build on this idea that you've been bought and ask then, how do we approach the idea of stewardship as the glory of being bought, of being owned? The last part of 1 Corinthians 6 said, glorify God with your body. That doesn't mean earn nothing. It means know who you are. What does that look like? Well, it means to be set apart, right? To be holy, to be different than the world. What does that look like? We're going to spend several weeks trying to talk about this. And we're going to encourage you at a certain point to try to adopt a practice that you'll do every day or every week this whole year long to make that even stronger. In a couple of weeks, we'll ask you to make a commitment to trying something, whether it's the Sons of Solomon prayer discipline, whether it's taking notes during, this, during the sermon, whether it's just going to Advent and Lent services. We've got a whole bunch of them there for you. The goal is not for you to earn something. The goal is for you to embrace who you are. to stop being blown about by every wind and take control because you are. You're free to be in control. You can put light in your eye or you can put darkness in your eye. You get to do it, do it, yeah? And we're gonna talk about finances at that main event. We're gonna ask you to consider that whatever you've given this next year, can you give a little more? But the reason for that is simply for our sakes together, because we belong together, because we're walking through this world together, because your bounty can mean someone else's need is filled. Huh? Again, okay, we'll we'll talk about these things, but all of that again, it's not about money. It's not even about reading your Bible. Although kind of kind of more of is for there. It's about being who you actually are. Ahead of time, you can wait till the last day to be free and filled with joy, or you can just do it now. Just own it now. And when I say filled with joy, I don't mean feeling good all the time. I mean just believe that that Jesus Christ is joy. You can believe that even when you feel bad. It's it's an amazing idea that you're not enslaved even to what you are. You're free. All right, Proverbs chapter three, page 528 in your pew Bible. Uh, The wisdom of Solomon is just such a, a tremendously valuable thing, but what really opens it is the name of Jesus. So we're going to start at chapter three, verse five, and then we'll kind of back up and then run through from there. But chapter three, verse five, you know, if you don't like the commitment card for devotional options this coming year, I'll give you another one. Just put chapter three, verse five, somewhere in your life. You have to see it every day for the whole year. But when you do it, make one small change. The English there says, trust in the Lord. When you write it somewhere else, write down, trust in Jesus Christ. Trust in Jesus Christ with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Now, here we have a great test. Trust in the Lord. Law or gospel? huh? Eh? Law would be the way most Lutherans are going to look at it. And then we'll do something like this. See, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, but you know you can't do that. Therefore, Jesus saved you. And the implied thing is then, so you don't have to trust in the Lord. That's where it ends up going. And it goes there because you've applied this law gospel concept of the second use, which is true in its own way, to a text that has no desire to condemn you. The point of trust in the Lord isn't you should be disappointed in yourself for not trusting enough. The point is, can you see how good it is to have Jesus as your God? Can you imagine how amazing it would be if you trusted in Jesus with all your heart? In every single moment, when anything happened, whether good or bad, you would see clearly that it was good. Don't you want that? I do. And so, yeah, I know I don't trust in Jesus with all my heart, but I don't let this text tell me that that's a condemnation to me. I let this text tell me that someday I'm going to. And it starts today like a little dribble, like a little bit of water bursting through the dam. And on the day of Jesus' resurrection, that dam is going to explode and I will never again doubt him. But until then, I can come to this verse every day, trust in Jesus Christ with all my heart and I can say, yes, please. And whatever failing I got in me, it doesn't get in the way of that yes, please. That yes, please is the Holy Spirit in me, telling me that this is what I want. Making me regenerate to want it. Freeing me in the notion that God is for me, not against me. And then allowing me to begin to doubt my own understanding. So trust in Jesus with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. This is not a command you have to perfectly keep. It's wisdom you get to start to understand. Oh, the way I think isn't always right. Tell you what, that's a powerful thought. Oh, I think I see what it all means. But, you know, there's a good chance I don't. That is a powerful thought. It opens you to new possibilities. God, why did this happen to me? Well, you're looking at it from your own understanding. Remember, I'm God. I have a greater understanding. Oh, it's a powerful thought. Lean not on your own understanding is not a commandment. It is Wisdom. It says it a little bit later, right? Be not wise in your own eyes. Uh, We'll get there in a moment, but let's start with, stick with verse six. In all your ways, acknowledge him, including your sin, your failure, your shame, your repentance, which is just an acknowledgement of your sin, your failure, your shame, and all that. Just remember, Jesus is in charge, and everything you do, remember, Jesus is in charge. In everything you do, remember, Jesus is in charge, and he will make your straight paths. That doesn't mean you're going to see the straight path. It just means that when you get to the last day, you're going to get to the last day in Jesus. He's got it covered. Yeah. To me, that is the most potent stewardship idea I could imagine. That God is forming me, not against me. That the more that I want to see that, the more that he is making me see that. And as a result, I am then free to just take the next step. Whether it means giving more, or giving less. Whether it means doing more, or doing less. Because sometimes you got to do both. The point again is that stewardship is about my relationship with Jesus. Don't get squishy with that word relationship. It's about the fact that I belong to him now, that you are not your own. And this is just such great news. The more you know it, the better it is. Huh? So let's back up here and run straight through Proverbs here. Proverbs 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. This is building on what's come before. It's building on what will come later. Remember, Solomon is the good king, the king of peace in Jerusalem. He's reigning by these words. And he says, don't forget what I say to his son Rehoboam. But then see that this is typology. This is Christ and God the Father. God the Father saying to Christ, Don't forget what I say. And of course, Christ comes and says, I only say what the Father has said. And then this also becomes Christ the King's words to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Go into all nations, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Yeah? It's just hear the word, hold the word, love the word. My son, know that my word is life. Let your heart keep my commandments. And again, you can make that word commandments all about a list of rules that you better do, but, but no, all things are lawful for you. Uh, keeping the commandments is about remembering that God's word is true, whether law or gospel, whether what you ought to do in a given situation or whether what you can know God is doing in a given situation. Cling to it. Let it be what your heart beats with. Because verse two, length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Two layers here, two layers. First layer is, look, if you walk with the wisdom of the scriptures, your life's gonna be better than if you don't. Doesn't mean you're gonna be richer, doesn't mean you're gonna be healthier, but you're gonna have peace of soul that other people don't have. And that peace of soul, and you can go study stress You don't have stress and you got peace. Guess what? Good odds you live longer. So the text really does mean this. Hold to Christianity. Your life's going to be better than if you don't. But, but, take that all the way to the cross and to the resurrection and see that what it really is is, hey, remember that he is the way and the truth and the life. And guess what? You live forever. Guess what? The peace of God that surpasses understanding, it will never leave you nor forsake you the long life that it's going to add to you is the fact that you are immortal now. So see it on both layers. Don't reject the fact that wisdom is wise and is justified by her children. So to follow good understanding, beneficial right now, but never confuse right now with what is to come, which is so much more and so much better. And the wisdom that comes down from on high who has bought you with his blood, that he indeed has you for all time. That is the longest life you could possibly ever have. It is It is a glorious thing, yeah? Then verse three, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Here's the teaching. You just said, keep the teaching. Here's the teaching. And I'm gonna really dig into these two words, steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love is the common way to translate the Hebrew word kesed, kesed in the ESV. If you go into a New King James, it's more likely to be as mercy. The problem with kesed is we don't have a word in English that does what kesed does. There's not a single word. If we were going to be very literal, we'd say love. But you can imagine how weak a translation love is. Yeah, The idea of kesed is the kind of love and loyalty that is so steadfastly committed to another that no matter what the other does, they're going to follow through on their commitment. You can't put that in a single word, yeah? Mercy is not bad though, yeah? Steadfast love isn't bad, but here again, so let not this steadfast loyalty that will never leave you nor forsake you and will sacrifice all for you, let not that idea forsake you. Don't forget that. And then, do you see how that's Jesus on the cross? I mean, it, it doesn't literally say, let not you remembering Jesus on the cross be forgotten, but that's what it means. Remember that he desires mercy, not sacrifice. He offered the sacrifice. He wants mercy from him to you. And again, when he said it is better to give than to receive, he didn't mean, so you better start giving. He meant, Do you understand who I am? I would rather give to you than receive from you. Don't let that idea get away. Especially as we talk about what to do with our bodies and our finances. Don't let mercy get away. He loves you. He chose you. The word faithfulness there in the New King James is translated as truth. And you know this word better than you know the word kesed. It's the Hebrew word amen. Just like you say it every single week at the end of the prayers, in the name of the Father, Son, Spirit, amen. It means yes. It means true. It means I agree. It means this is something that will never change. So let not mercy and God's truth that never changes forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, it says. And again, can you see how the Lutheran dynamic of law gospel preaching steals that from you? But I can't bind them around my neck. Should I wear a phylactery like the Pharisees and just wear it on my forehead in a little tiny box? No. That doesn't do it either. That is legalistic. Don't be legalistic about this wisdom. Just see how good it is. All he's doing is say, don't forget Jesus loves you. Like whatever you do, whatever you do, don't forget Jesus is your savior. And if you're like, but that's a law I can't keep, you're missing the freedom. The freedom is to enjoy the reality. He's got you. And then from there say, well, since this is such good news, I think I'm going to remember it on purpose. Instead of just waiting until the next time the pastor says it to me, I'm gonna open my Bible and read about it. Or even better, I'm gonna write down some of my Bible and put it somewhere I can't miss it. That way, it's there to be seen again. And when the world is shouting this and that and be afraid and act more like there and be more of this and change what you're doing here, you can see, let not the mercy of Jesus be lost. like an anchor in the storm, trusting in Jesus with all your heart and leaning not on your own understanding in all of your ways, all of your paths, every road you walk, remembering he is there and knowing that he's going to set it straight for you. If you're gonna judge yourself based on how good you are at this, you're gonna condemn yourself. Just want it. That's what it's here for. It's here to say, want this. Verse seven, be not wise in your own eyes. This will be a theme that Proverbs comes back to again and again. And you can take this as, yeah, you can't actually do any of this on your own. It's all a gift. And the moment you start to think it's about you and what you've done, you, you lose it, right? The scoffer, the fool, all the different, the lazy man, all the different bad guys of Proverbs, their problem is they're wise in their own eyes. Be not wise in your own eyes. A foundational bit of wisdom. What I see is not everything. So I always can learn more. It's a profound thought. You don't have to be a Christian to get that, but Christians are given that. I mean, just look at the cross again. Does it look like the, inter- the eternal wisdom of God? No, it looks, I mean, if Jesus is God, he is God, it looks like we're killing God. That can't be good. But wait, we meant it for evil. He meant it for good. So stop thinking you know so much about what he's got going on right now. You can't see how good it all is, how he's moving it all for your benefit. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear Jesus and turn away from evil. Yeah? Flee sexual immorality. Do not let your flesh tell you what truth is. It's good to be a little worried about, well, golly, my heart isn't perfect. What if God were to judge me for my works? Yeah, that's bad. But thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, that we have been set free from that. Yeah, That's the fear of Jesus. Verse 8. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Same thing as that bit before uh, about length of days, right? Like when you believe in Jesus, the flesh of your sin no longer is the only thing you know. That's healing. That's the resurrection come early. And the resurrection is going to be a true healing of your flesh. Uh, the, The sin which so closely entangles will be stripped away from you once and for all. So the promise is both for now and for then. It doesn't mean, again, you're going to be wealthy and have your best life now or any any nonsense like that, but it does mean life is so much better when you know your God is for you. You can endure all manner of things. I've been thinking about pain recently. It's been a topic in our, our family and our house, and it is very interesting how we as humans treat pain. The same pain that you feel, depending on what else is happening around you, can either debilitate you or you can ignore it and go right through it. Have you ever noticed that? You can actually forget about your pain because something else means more than your pain. And that's sort of this this promise here. It isn't that there won't be pain in this life. It's that the pain just won't be enough to distract you from your certainty that God is your god that he's a god of mercy a god of truth a god of light a god of goodwill yeah verse 9 and 10 are final two verses here we get to the stewardship stuff though right can you see it honor the lord jesus with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine so you go to a Pentecostal church and they're going to say, see, what you got to do is you got to put enough in the plate for God to see your faith and then he'll reward it. So you got to put the seed in the plate and then God's going to bring the harvest in your life. And they'll go to this text for that and they're, they're dead wrong. That's not how it works at all. You're not going to get more by being greedy. <laughs> and if the reason you give is out of greed, like you're not giving. You're trying to like trick God or manipulate him. It's idolatry. It's it's terrible. But the text is still here. It does say give to God and then, and then you'll have more. So, so what's the real wisdom? The wisdom is that if you try to hold it, you're never going to have enough. If you give it away without fear because you know Jesus gave it to you, you're always gonna have enough. You might have far, far less than you thought you needed, but you're gonna be like, you know, it's enough. This is a spiritual reality. This isn't about a bigger house. This is about contentment. This is about knowing that God provided what you got. And today is the only day you have to use it. And so if you try to store that up so you can be safe later, what you're doing is living in fear. And it's not going to work because all you got to do is protect all your assets. I mean, you know this? I hope you know this. The richer you get, the more you worry about protecting it. You don't get more free. You get less free. The farther you can fall. Yeah? So instead of trying to protect it all for some story you tell yourself about many, many years from now, at least see that God gave it all to you and he can take it, he can get it. And so then if you see a need... Anywhere it doesn't have to be a church. It can be your neighbor. It can be your kids. It can be somebody far. It doesn't matter. If you see a need, instead of clinging tightly so you can protect yourself, see how what you have is for the good of what's right in front of you. If God blessed you with wealth, then share it. If God blessed you with poverty, then be content in it. Yeah. Honor the Lord with your possessions. Whatever you got, it's not yours. So stop worshiping it. See it as a gift from God, and then and realize that if you want to handle more of it, well, you're not going to get there by storing it. Yeah? If you can't be faithful with a little bit, why would he? Why would he give you a lot? It'll just destroy you. Yeah? The miser who gets rich is not good for him. So, so as we talk about giving again this year, and as we ask you to prayerfully consider a step up in your giving, please, please, if if it's going to cause you trouble, don't do it. Don't do it. It's not not what it's for. But if it can be a moment for you to say, you know what? I trust this stuff too much. So I'm going to actually make it hurt just that much more this year. So that I can learn what it means that God will always give me enough. Well, then do it. Do that. Take that small step. Challenge your conscience to trust. But by all means, don't. Don't let it be a law by which you think God loves you or doesn't love you. You're loved here. You're wanted here. I, I Some of you, so we'll kind of close with this. Some of you, you like to go home. And I don't blame you because you know what I want to do after church? I want to go home. I can't get out fast enough. Yeah, but it's my job, you know. And so, you know, what it's like being at work. So, but... Some of you, you, you go through the shake line. Hello, God's peace. And off you go. And that's good. It's fine. I get it. But let me challenge you to like stick around a little longer, just one week. Because there's this whole other group of you that just, you guys just won't leave. And it's, it's wonderful. You're so busy loving each other. I want all of you to know that you're wanted here. You're loved here. Not because I'm so great or because we're so great, but because he is risen. risen Alleluia. And the freedom of knowing that sets you apart to do with your body what the world cannot do,
1: which is to be a people of grace. In the name of Jesus.